this week's going to be, I'm, I'm Lord willing, I always put Lord willing, and I always keep the possibility that the Lord could change direction. Amen? I want to follow the, the will of God and the Spirit of God as He leads, but he, He's been pressed on my heart a series of messages. And, uh, and so uh, this series of messages is it, found in Romans 12, if you'll turn there. Romans chapter number 12. And, and, and here we have a, a big butterfly here, amen? But, but he didn't start a butterfly. Uh, he didn't start a butterfly at all. He started as this, a caterpillar, amen? And he became a butterfly. That's what happened to him. Now, there's a lot that tra transpires and takes place between this stage and this stage. But actually, I will show you, I actually have four stages that we'll be talking about. Now, this is extremely magnified, but this is an egg, a caterpillar. It's an egg, okay? It's like a butterfly. And then we have the, the, well, the old ugly caterpillar stage, I call it, amen? And then you've got the chrysalis, and then it emerges a butterfly, Okay? And now in Romans chapter 12, if you'll look there, now we're, I'm not going to preach out of that this morning, but keep this in mind because this is our main text we're going to be using the rest of the week. But in Romans chapter 12, after the Apostle Paul here writing to these Roman believers, he comes back to this in chapter number 12, verse 1, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Notice that word, transformed, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word transformed is a word that we get our word, it's metamorpho in the Greek, which we get our word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis is what takes place when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying here, you need to be changed. You, you need to be changed. But in order to understand uh, about this change and why you need this change, and then we're going to look at how this change takes place, we've we got to go back to Romans chapter 1 at the beginning of the book. So if you'll turn back to Romans chapter 1, and this morning in Sunday school, we want to kind of get a look, and then in the morning service, we'll continue in Romans chapter 1 this morning and then pick up Romans chapter 12 uh, this evening. So in Romans chapter 1, and of course this is the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit writing to this group of uh, Christians in Rome. Now let me give you a little background. So, so this morning, Sunday school, and, and I probably will be going back from time to time and making reference to this. Understand, we live in wicked days today. Amen? I mean, we, we know in our lifetime, uh, we got to be honest, we, we have seen our country go downhill real fast. I mean, seemingly in the last 20 years, we, we've just seen it snowballing wickedness and ungodliness. We've seen a trend that has begun. And, and, and it's throughout our land. Amen? I mean, I, I think there's no argument. We all recognize and understand that. But we need to also understand and recognize we're not the first uh, people to go through wicked times. 
I mean, you got to consider this small group of believers in Rome here. And at the time that Paul is writing to these believers, let me tell you something, Rome is on that downward slide. I mean, Rome is a place of wickedness. Rome is a place of perversion and ungodliness. All of that is so... So see, we're not the first ones to have to deal with society and wickedness on every hand. Uh, these believers were dealing with that back in Paul's day here as he's addressing these Roman believers. And so I, I, won't get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm trying to keep myself in, in range here as we go along. But you need to understand that. He's writing to a group of believers that's living in the midst and among a wicked society. And as a result, he's trying to help them to be what they need to be in order to reach those that are around them. Folks, let me tell you something. Our country needs Jesus. Amen. And if they're going to hear about Jesus, you know how they're going to hear about him? It's through those that belong to him, those that know him as Savior. And so we've got a job to do just like these believers had a job to do in Rome. Now, here's how Paul begins. Paul begins, as he normally does in his epistles, by his introduction uh, and that, and he says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now let me stop right there for a moment. Paul said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you something. What we need in America is revival but among God's people, let me tell you what we need a revival of. We need a revival of servanthood. Did you hear me? Of servanthood. What it means to be a servant. It means one who serves. But we live in a society today that's not really concerned about being of service to anyone else, but it's all about how we get served. That's our society, amen? I mean, that's it. And if we're not careful, it can carry over into the Christian realm as well in the sense that, well, it's not what can I do to serve the Lord or to help his church and be a servant there, but what can it do for me? And I'm going to tell you something. It'll do more for you as you get involved in his service than you could ever imagine. But as long as you stay on the perimeter waiting for something to serve you, you're going to miss out on it. And so, uh, but, but Paul said he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And then he said, of course, his office as an apostle, he said, and then, I like this, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul said, look, I have pulled myself away from the world in order to be a servant, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ I, I, I am to that place of separating myself for the glory of the Lord and the service of God. And so that's what he's, he's, he's referring to himself there when he says he's separated unto the gospel of God. And then he makes reference here to the fact that how, who he's separated unto. 
And he says here in verse number 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Here Paul says, hey, I've separated myself unto the promised one that was promised by the holy prophets. He's the one that was prophesied about. He was the one that was pointed to as coming into this world. And he said, he is that, that Christ. He is that one that came for the purpose of, of redemption. And so he said, he, he's the promised one. I've separated myself unto Christ, the promised one. And then he said, he's a powerful one. Amen. He said, Christ is the one that came. He's the Son of God. And all power, uh, he has all power. And in verse uh, 3 there, uh, excuse me, verse number 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power. Thank God for the power of God. Amen? He said uh, in Matthew 28, we're to, we're to go and, and we are to uh, be a witness and we're to tell folks about Jesus Christ. And then he says, if you'll go into all the world there, and he said that by his power and the power made available to us in Matthew 28, we need his power. And then in Acts chapter 1, when he told him to go and be witnesses into the uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, uh, they were going to get that power they needed to do that. And they did. And they went about their task in the New Testament there as they went about proclaiming Christ. But it was only because of the power of God. It was only because of, of Christ Jesus and his power. Paul recognized that in his own life. I can do all things through the power that I have. He didn't say that, did he? No. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's only through God's power. Did you know what? Paul had a thorn in the flesh that made him recognize, and he said, look, I, his weakness, or his strength, rather, is made perfect in my weakness. I, therefore, will glory in my infirmities. Why? Because if it means the power of God is going to be shown in my life, that's the thing. And so we need the power of God in our life. What do we need this week? A revival? Yeah, a revival comes to God's people. Let me just stop right here and give a brief, a, a brief definition. I think most of you know this. Hey, revival is not for the world. When I say the world, I'm talking about for those that are lost. You cannot revive something that's dead. Amen? Yeah, and the Bible says they're dead in trespasses and sin. But revival is for something that has life. But <laughs> uh, it's ebbing. It's, it's kind of not very uh, prominent as far as in showing that liveliness and that life. And so as a result, it's needing revived, brought back to life, brought back to a fervency. You know, I heard about this years ago in a little country church in Kentucky. A guy told me this. He said that they had a guy that had some heart problems in the church, and he actually had a heart attack, and they called 911. And the paramedics, when they got there, instead of people uh, pointing out who this was, they started to run into who they thought it was that was needing them and, and went to about six or seven people before they actually found the guy that was suffering from the heart attack because all of them looked like they were about gone. <laughs> Sad, but sometimes it can be true. And so uh, uh, here's the thing, that we need the power of God and we need a revival in order that that power can be seen in our life. 
And so uh, he said he's the promised one. He's the powerful one. He's the perfect one. He's in holiness, he said there. Did you know what? Hey, holiness is not a denomination. Y'all know what I mean? I mean, uh, there's a, in Kentucky, uh, we have churches. They say, well, that's a holiness church. Well, you know what? Hey, every one of us are to be holy as he is holy, the Bible says. And we need holiness in our life because that's what shows to a wicked world is when we've got a, a life that patterns what Christ is and who he is and that holiness, that, that means to, hey, it doesn't mean sinless perfection. We all got flesh we deal with. And you know what? It, we're all dealing with that until we're with him and we're like him. But right now, just because we're flesh does not give us an excuse to not try to be as close to Christ as we need to be and to live a holy life and try to separate ourselves to that holy life. Okay? So he said he's the perfect one in all holiness. And then he's the one, the prevailing one that rose from the dead. Thank God we have a living Savior today. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I was uh, several years ago, we had uh, in Bowling Green, I'll, I'll just go ahead and mention it this morning, Bowling Green is a melting pot of the world. The world has come to our city in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I'm from, and we have about 9,000 Muslims in Bowling Green, Kentucky, four mosques, and uh, two brand-new mosques and two rented mosques. And uh, we had a, a couple of Iraqi children come to our Bible school one year, and, uh, and they came to Bible school, and as a result, the one young man, he was at that time, he was probably about uh, 11 years old or so, and, and he came, and uh, on Thursday night, he came to me at the end of Bible school, and he said uh, his name, uh, as he came, he said uh, to uh, me, he said, uh, now let me get this straight. From what I've heard this week and what you have said, the, uh, he said, I am of a different religion and he said, uh, and I have different teachings. But he said, from what I've heard this week, you're telling me that the only way that I can get to heaven is to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I said, you understood right. That's true. And he said, uh, but I've been taught another thing. And I said, yes. But I said, Hadi, I said, this is from the pages of God's Word. And I said, Hadi, Jesus Christ did something that no other religious leader has ever done. And that is, he arose from the dead. I said, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and in three days, he rose from the dead. Your leader did not. He's still dead. And I said, so as a result... Hey, listen, he proved who he was by his resurrection from the dead. And we can believe him and trust him. And I'll just go ahead and say this, that in about four weeks from that day, his parents allowed him to go to camp with us, which was a total surprise because some people in our church paid his way to go to camp. And on uh, uh, Thursday of that week, Hottie got saved and trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And so as a result of finding out, look, hey, Jesus did something no one else has done. 
in raising from the dead. The power of the resurrection. Paul said he's preaching because of Jesus Christ. And I've separated myself unto the service of this one who was promised, uh, of this one who is pure and holy, of this one who is all-powerful. I've separated myself to declare him and to preach this gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we find Paul saying that. Then, look with me, in verse number 7, he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Let me stop right there. He's talking about, now he's, he's addressing this, this purpose of this letter, which is addressed to the saints that are there. By the way, don't let that word scare you. Amen? Uh, that's what we are when we get saved. Amen. That just means one that's been set aside and one that's saved and, and on his way to heaven. Amen? And you don't have to have a halo on. Amen? I mean, I carry my halo everywhere I go uh, with this bald spot. I create my own. But anyway, uh, no, it's a little crooked, though. But anyway, uh, uh, we don't have to have a halo. Praise God for that. And, and so as a result, we are a, a saint of God. And that's who he's addressing this to in Rome. And then he's thankful here, he says, in this place here. He's praising them for their faith. Verse 8. For I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Man, what a testimony. What a testimony that their faith has been heard about and spoken of. And so he's, he's, he's praised them for that. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And so now he says, look, I'm praying for you. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank God for those who pray for us. Amen. This morning on the way here, I got texts from preacher friends that said, I'm praying for you. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly at all. And you know what? This morning, I have no doubt that in, in different places, there are individuals who express and they say, I'm praying. I count that as a privilege to have somebody praying for me. I've got kids from camp. That, that have expressed to us and sent notes and said, we pray for you. That means a lot. And so Paul is saying to these believers, I, I, I remember you in my prayers. I am praying for you. I make mention of you always in my prayers. Can I tell you, we need prayer lives. We need to be praying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to switch things, but I have another theme that I preach sometimes revivals about the harvest. And, and here's the thing. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Well, what are we supposed to do about that? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. We need to pray for laborers. Where do those laborers come from? They come from that harvest. Amen. The more we harvest, the more laborers we can have in, in the harvest eventually. And so as a result, it's, it's, we, we need, and he says, I pray for you. 
I pray for you. I make mention of you always in my prayer and making requests. If by any means now at length that I may have a prosperous journey. He said, I, I want to come. I want to come and see you. You know what? Uh, praise God for the fellowship of the saints. Amen. Uh, we need it. We all need it. Paul's saying how much he longed for it here to be able to have that fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And he, he wanted that to take place. And he says, I, I've been praying for you. And my prayer is basically, as I pray for you, it makes me want to see you even more. You know what? Hey, you got, you got somebody you have problems with? Pray for them. You know what to do? It'll help you with your attitude sometimes toward others. It can and change it. But anyway, he says here, I pray, I pray for you, I long for you. He said, then he says in this, in verse number 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He said, look, I'm coming to you, and I'm praying for you, but I want you to understand here that I want to be able to impart. I want to be able to help you. I want to be able to give you something that's going to enable you to serve the Lord in a better way, in a stronger way, in a sense for your own spiritual growth. I want to impart unto you. I want to help unto you some spiritual gift, he said, that you may be established in other words, that you may be rooted and stronger in your faith in the Lord. And he, then he mentions this by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now he says in verse 13, we're going to get to the gist of this part right here in these last few minutes. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that sometimes, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Let me just stop again. He said, uh, I'm a debtor. I have be I'm a debtor when it comes to being a child of God. He said, look, I'm a debtor in the sense of what Christ has done for me. You know, you and I can never repay Christ for what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. No matter what we do. You know why? Because, hey, listen, you and I could have never done anything to save ourselves and get to heaven. It took the Son of God to come down and die on an old rugged cross. And as a result, Paul said, I am a debtor because of the grace of God that I have experienced, because of the mercy of God that I have experienced. I'm a debtor to all men. And he says here, now he's, he's laying the groundwork for, for, for this uh, second part of chapter 1. But what he's saying, he's trying to get these believers to recognize who we are, who Christ is, and what our responsibility is to Christ. And listen, we'll never be what we can be until we recognize the only way we can be that is through Christ. Can I ask you to pray a prayer this week? This prayer is this, Lord, work in me 
and on me that you might be able to work through me. God wants to work through every one of us. Did you know what? He could have made the rocks and the trees to cry out the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that was not his plan. His plan was to use us, his, those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And we are to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for him to do that, number one, he needs to work inside of us and on us in the sense that, hey, we're his workmanship created unto good works. And we need to also allow him then to work through us. But he can't work through us unless he works on us and gets us prepared. And that's what revival is all about, just doing that. Because when he revives God's people, then the lost get saved. When he revives his people, then the burden increases for the world. When he revives his people, then the work gets done. But it starts with his people. And so he said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor, and he says to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. In other words, in Rome there, boy, they considered themselves scholars in many rights. Wise. <laughs> they, they, they trusted in human uh, thinking and human ways. And, and as a result, he's saying, look, I, I, I'm a debtor to the Greek or to the barbarian. He's got two classes of people in mind there. And then he says whether they're wise or... It doesn't, in other words, here's what he's saying. It doesn't make any difference who they are. It doesn't make any difference what station in life. I'm a debtor to them. I owe them something. I owe them something. And that's something he says in verse 15. So, <laughs> he said, because I'm a debtor, when you see it start with so, he's tying it to the other verse, okay? So... Because of this, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Because of who Christ is, because of what he's done for me, because of who I am, a servant of God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I'm ready to give that gospel message. Verse 16, why, Paul? Why? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want you to know, hey, listen, I'm glad that I'm able to proclaim the gospel. Folks, we're not to be ashamed of Christ, amen? Well, you know what? To show that we're not ashamed of Christ, we need not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, the message that he gave us to proclaim, if we're not careful sometimes, we let the world stick us in a corner and we let the world try to tell us, you can't preach the gospel of Christ. You can't witness you can't talk about Jesus. Well, I got news for you. Yes, we can. Amen. You know, I, I, I was working with young people for many years, and they said, Brother Decker, um, we can't really um, uh, witness at school. And I said, yes, you can. 
And they said, well, uh, we can't take a Bible. And I said, yes, you can. And matter of fact, I started a Bible club called Swordbearer Bible Club, bearing the sword of the Spirit, and encouraged them to take their Bible to school. And I said, if, if anybody says anything to you, come and tell me or, or tell them to call me. Because, hey, you're allowed to carry your Bible. Now, you may not be able to stand up in a chair, amen, and proclaim out loud, but you can sure carry your Bible. And you can, and you can let it be seen, hey, I, I believe this book. And I said, therefore, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of what's in this book. And you know what? We live in a day and time when you and I that are saved, we need not be ashamed of who we are as a child of God and also because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Years ago, uh, there was a man by the name of Carl Hatch. And Carl Hatch, I, I think I shared with you when I was here before, a message about him. But in a lunchroom in, the, in General Motors, he would get up during break time and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had so many workers get saved because of that. They confronted him and said, you got to either quit preaching or you got to quit working here. And he said, that's a no-brainer. I'm not going to quit preaching the gospel. So he just quit working the GM, and God broadened his ministry all over the country. But it started because he got saved as a drunkard, and he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he began to declare it, and God used him in a mighty way. You know what? Hey, if we would just not be ashamed. Paul said, look, you're in Rome, believers. You're there in amongst a wicked society and generation. But I am encouraging you as I am. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and who he is. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's what they need. They need to hear. I'll share with you just a little bit. And, and at 1030, you said, right? Is that right, 1030? Okay, so I, I got time to get this in and I'll go. Uh, uh, this teenage, uh, they, they started having people get saved and, and this one teenage girl came and she got saved. She asked the preacher because they're the only Baptist church in that town that's been there for 30 years, no Baptist church. They didn't even know what saved meant. And he explained it to this girl and he sat down and he told her and went into detail and she ended up getting saved. And this past Wednesday night, she brought several teens, four teenagers with her. And all of them came to the pastor and said, we just got saved. And they said, he said, where, where did you get saved at? Well, uh, what's your name? What is it? Nevada. Nevada. Nevada told us what we needed to do to get saved. And he said, what'd she tell you? And so then he talked to Nevada, and he said, Nevada, what did you tell him? He said, I told him, I told him they, were, they needed to go to heaven. The only way they could go to heaven was to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And preacher, I just went down and told them everything you told me. And they said, listen, I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. And they got saved. You know what happened? Nevada went out of there because she got saved. She wasn't ashamed to tell these kids, hey, I got saved. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And now they're seeing other teenagers become to, to get saved because somebody had the courage to speak up. Amen. That's what it takes to get the, as we call it, the snowball rolling is to get somebody that's just not ashamed of the God. Paul said, look, you Roman believers... I know what you're surrounded by. I know what's going on. But don't you let them push you in a corner. You know in whom you believe. And you be willing to stand up and, and, and be willing to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he said in verse 16. And then verse 17, he said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here's what he's saying. You got to live by faith. You just got to trust the Lord. You just got to trust the Lord. Yeah, that's what it takes. But, but why? No, 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 no. You just got to trust the Lord. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. You just got to trust the Lord. It's a matter of trusting the Lord. This year, junior camp theme I had on the storms of life. I preached on the storms of life. I, I dressed in rain gear and everything as I preached for those, for those juniors. But I told them a verse. Psalm 56, 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's a good little verse to memorize. You say for kids? No, I did for kids. And I went to a church in Tennessee to preach afterwards. And the pastor got up and he said to his church, quote Psalm 56.3, folks. And the whole church quoted Psalm 56.3. And he said, because that became my verse this fall, he had faced several trials physically and otherwise. And he said, it became a verse that I just continually quoted. And he said, now, I just thought it's good Good verse for our church to know. I don't know what we're heading into. You don't know what we're heading into. But I'm going to tell you what. I know who I'm heading into it with. And what time I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. Just shall live by faith. That's by our heads. Father, thank you now for this time we've had in your word. I pray, God, you'd bless in the morning service. Lord, you would just continue to work as only you can. And help us just to open our hearts to you. Let you work in us. Let you work on us. Lord, that you might work through us in Jesus' name. Amen.